Good evening. The, uh, this evening's reading is on page 224 of the Church Bibles. It's from Joshua 10, uh, and it's verses 1 to 15. So, page 224, Joshua 10, 1 to 15. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this, because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to Hoham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jareth, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Debir, king of Eglon. Come up and help me attack Gibeon, he said, because it has made me at peace with Joshua and the Israelites. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Tashish, and Eglon, they joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save and help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into you, into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and all the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon, and, out, and cut them down all the way to Azekah and Mechadah. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Besh Horon to Azekah, the Lord hurled huge hailstones down on them, and more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, Son, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ali Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord Israel, uh, when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Then Joshua returned with all the Israelite, with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. If you'd uh, like to keep that passage open, I think I feel covered under Don's prayer to, n- to not begin our sermon in prayer. Don has prayed beautifully for us and we trust that God will answer that prayer. So turn to that passage as a, a very brief introduction as to where we are. That um, after 40 years of traipsing around the desert, God's people Israel have entered the promised land. That exciting moment when they crossed through the sea and they were in. And one city, two cities now taken, they're seeing the hand of God go before them and, and they're entering the, the long promised land. They're conquering it with God's help and power. 
And last week we heard of the ruse of the Gibeonites. They, they saw what was coming. And they thought, hmm, what are we going to do? We are going to be slaughtered. We've seen what, 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 what God and what Joshua and the Israelites have done to Ai. We've seen what they've done to Jericho. Let's find a way round that. And, and they came up with a very good ruse that Daniel explained to us last week very well. They, they dressed up like they'd been walking around for a very long time. They got old clothes and their wineskins were cracked. And they came to Joshua and said, oh, we're from a long, long, long way away. Can we sign a peace treaty? And, and just to cut a, a long story short, the peace treaty was signed. But actually, they were, they were next door neighbors. They were the next lot to be conquered. So when Joshua came then to them and said, you've, you've taken us for a ride. But the peace treaty was signed. And that was, in those days, they were as good as their word. There was a peace treaty between the Gibeonites and the Israelites. They must have breathed a sigh of relief. And that's at the end of of chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. So Joshua saved them, the Gibeonites, from the Israelites and did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the assembly to provide for the needs of the altar of the Lord at the place of the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. So the Gibeonites had become servants and slaves. That brings us to chapter 10. And we've seen where we've been, and now we're just going to have a quick look at where we're going to go in chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. We see, first of all, that it's a bad day for the Amorites. And then, secondly, it's a good day for the Gibeonites and for the Israelites, too. And then, thirdly, we see it's a long day for everyone. And then, at the end of that, I I just want to bring in four brief points of application So hopefully at the end of this day, we will go home saying it's been a good day for us because we've met with the Lord. So first of all, a bad day for the Amorites. That's verses 1 to 5. Some quite unpronounceable names there. I think um, was done very well in the reading. Thank you very much, Mark. They're difficult names to, to pronounce, but we'll do our best. So the first thing, it's a bad day for the Amorites. The Amorites are this group of five kings that are thinking, mm-mm, what's coming our way? What are we going to do? Those wretched Gibeonites have signed a peace treaty. We were relying on them to come and help us to fight the Israelites. They've made a peace treaty. So let's, the first thing we're going to do is to go and get them. And that's, that's, that's what's happening. So the bad news for the king of Jerusalem in, in verses 1 and 2 is what's about to come his way. So we see it there, chapter 10. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and that the people of Gibeon had made a treaty of peace with Israel and had become their allies. He and his people were very much alarmed at this because Gibeon was an important city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were good fighters. So they'd lost an ally, that they were hoping for them to come and fight with them. And then verse 3, So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to the other kings to come and help him. So it was bad news for those Amorite kings, that they, their allies had gone. They'd heard this news. I don't know how news got around in those days, but it did. They'd seen the Israelites coming. They'd heard about them. They'd, they'd heard that they had a powerful God on their side. 
So the first thing, the bad news for the king of Jerusalem, who then rallied his troops, as it were, and rallied his friends, brings us to chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. He calls for help. He calls for help to the other four Amorite kings. And that's in verses 3 to 5. So verse 3 there. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, appealed to these other four kings, whose names I'm not going to try and pronounce, to come and help him. Kings of important cities, kings of big cities, powerful cities, come and help me to fight. First of all, we're going to get the Gibeonites. So that's what they did. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, they joined forces. And, and they went to, to attack Gibeon. They, they took up positions, it says there in verse 5, against Gibeon, and they attacked it. And then you'd imagine that five kings against the Gibeonites, easy. They were mighty kings. They were, they were city kings. They were bigger than the Gibeonites. So they, they took up their place, and then verse 5, attacked it. But it didn't go well, because what we see now is they, they suffered a terrible defeat Because they weren't just fighting the Gibeonites, they were also fighting the Israelites, and they were fighting against the God of the Israelites. And that's what we see in verses 10, 11, 12, and 14. It really is a bad day, or it was a bad day, for those Amorite kings. Verse 10, look what happens to them. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, because Israel had come to help them. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. So Joshua and the Israelites defeated them completely at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road, going up to Beth Horon and to Machadar. And as they fled before the Lord, before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Azekar, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them. And more of them died from the hail than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. It was a terrible defeat. And on that day, verse 12, the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel. And Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, we'll come to that later on. But at verse 14, we see there has never been a day like it before or since when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. So these five kings, Adonai Zedek and his compatriots, It suffered a terrible defeat. So point number one, it was a bad day for the Amorites. I'm glad I wasn't on their side. Secondly, it was a good day for the Gibeonites in this passage. Verse 5, we see it there. They'd heard the news that these kings, they'd come and they were were camped outside the city of Gibeon. So so it was bad news. They'd heard bad news. Verse 5, they were under attack. So like the Amorites, they too called for help. And that's what they do in verse 6. They call their help to Joshua. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal. Do not abandon your servants. You've made a peace treaty with us. Come and help us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. They, they cried out to help to Joshua. And, and Joshua straight away answered their call for help. And overnight, with his army, they marched up. A a good march, an overnight march, and took these kings by surprise. 
and, 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 and began to slaughter them. And as they ran away, and it was not like running away along the road, this is a very mountainous area. It was a nightmare trying to escape through the mountains from, from the, the army of Israel, and I presume the, the, the valiant fighting men of the Gibeonites too. And not only do that, as they were beginning to escape, so the Lord hailed down these, these big hailstones on them and, and slaughtered more, the, the more died through the hailstones than from the, the fighting that was going on. So they experienced a, a wonderful victory. And I, I'm sure the, the Gibeonites, their mouths must have opened, mustn't they? It's like, wow. You know, just to see these, these hailstones coming down. And the hailstones were very particular as to who they hit. It was, it was the Amorites and the Amorite people who were being hit by the hailstones. Whether they were further away, I presume they were, thinking they were escaping. But they didn't. And I, I can imagine being a Gibeonite thinking, we, we made the right decision signing that peace treaty. And to be woodcutters and to be water carriers is by far the best thing. And as we know from, uh, Daniel explained last week, they became integrated into the people of Israel. They joined God's people. They were on God's side. And they saw God at work. And they must have stood in awe and wonder at the power and the might of Israel's God. And thirdly, and the final bit of the passage, uh, it was a long day for everyone. I'm sure you've all experienced long days. It seems a long day for, for me when the grandchildren come round for the day. <laughs> And uh, it, sometimes it starts early, doesn't it, and goes on. And when are they going? But um, And I'm sure, too, holidays, for those of you who can remember back with, with young children, they seem to go on forever, don't they? Oh, when are they going to go to bed? Uh, they've been naughty or whatever it is. We, we've all known long, long days. But this was a day like no other. That's the title of our sermon, isn't it? A day like no other. This was the longest day that there ever was. It's a day that the Amorites wished it would end. They really did. They must have prayed for darkness to come. Because darkness, they didn't fight in the darkness, apart from in the morning when Joshua took them by surprise. It wasn't a done thing. For some reason, they must have blown a whistle or something. Right, sun's gone down, stop fighting, we'll start again in the morning. But they must have prayed that this long day would end, that night would come to relieve them. And to the Israelites, Joshua prayed for it to go on. This day would be extended so that the battle could be won and victory secured in one day. Five kings slaughtered or gone in one day. That was, a, that was a, an incredible victory. Better than Jericho, better than Ai. In one day, under the Lord's strength, they had taken five cities and overcome five kings. And as I said, the Gibeonites must have whispered, whispered, witnessed the power of God and seen an amazing answer to Joshua's prayer. Joshua's prayer is, is worth looking at because here is a man, just an ordinary guy, calling out to God who answers his prayer in a most remarkable way. It's in verse 12. Verse 12. The end, the second bit of verse 12. Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, so everybody could hear that, Stand, sun, stand still over Gibeon, and you, moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, the moon stopped, till the nation avenged itself on its enemies, as it is written in the book of Jashar. The book of Jashar is mentioned twice 
in the scriptures. It must have been a historical record of what God was doing, but it's, it's been lost. But there are two mentions to that. And this is a little quote, obviously, that was in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. The science of the sun standing still has caused many to puzzle and ponder and I'm not going to go into it tonight. There are loads of books being written on how can it possibly stand still? How can the earth possibly stop spinning for 12 hours, whatever it might have been? I'm a very simple guy. I've been walking with the Lord for 40, 50 years. I think if it said the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and the scriptures say that's what it did, it did. We're talking about a God who created our universe that the stars that they're beginning to map out, that new telescope they put into space. Did you see the photos on the, on the new site? These new galaxies and stuff they could see. And they said, if you could hold a grain of sand in your fingertips, that's, that's the area that we're looking at with the telescope. And there were galaxies and worlds and all kinds of stuff out there. This is our God who created that out of nothing. He spoke and it came into being. Can God stop the sun? For 12 hours? To me, that's, that's a no-brainer. Of course he can. I don't know how, but he did. That's what the scriptures say. And it's very clear, and it points it out very clearly. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down for about a full day. That's what the scriptures said. If you're not sure, read some books. There are plenty of books written about it. Read some good commentaries. It's there. But if you want to take my word for it, the sun stopped. God is so great, so big. He's able to do that. And the answer to a prayer. So maybe some of your prayers are almost seem like, almost like I want to stop the sun. God listened to Joshua's prayer, no matter how difficult you think your prayers might be. God is able to answer the most difficult of prayers. What caused Joshua to pray that prayer? I presume it was the spirit of God working in him. It was such a funny thing to pray, wasn't it? It's not as though the type of thing that you would pray. But Joshua, in the sight of all the people, prayed that the sun would stop, and it did. I think God was wanting to do the victory. God had got his plan worked out with, with the Amorites. And, and God involved Joshua in that, and he listened to his prayer. I love that. God, the creator of the universe, listened to a man's prayers. Take that with you when you bow down in prayer in your quiet times, just imagining that God is listening to you. It, like it, it, it puts a new level into our prayers and the way that we approach it. Trust that, believe it. So four points of application. What, what has this passage got to say to us? It seems so far removed, doesn't it? Amorites and Gibeonites and all kinds of ites, Israelites. I always want to add in here fairy lights and see if anybody notices if they pick up, but... I won't do that. What does it say? It it is relevant because my first point, my first point of application is that the true Christian life is a fierce and ongoing battle. It really is. It's a spiritual war and it's waged in everyday life. The, The gospel that is kind of preached nowadays is Jesus is kind of a therapy 
or, you know, a, a therapy worker, you just come to Jesus and, yeah, yeah, it's going to be fine. He's going to sort you out. You're going to feel good about yourself. You're going to be good in life. The true Christian gospel says, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ is the Lord of the Lord's armies. He welcomes you to enter the battle, the fight that is the Christian life. The New Testament clearly portrays Christianity as a fight, as a battle, as a war. There are conflicts, there are persecutions, there are trials, there are enemies, there are attacks. Let me just quote a very few verses just to prove my point from various New Testament writers. Peter says, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. He also says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The Apostle John, the Apostle of Love, says, do not be surprised if the world hates you. And he referred to himself in in Revelation as your brother in tribulation. The Apostle Paul said that he was troubled on every side, harassed at every turn. He knew conflicts on the outside and fears within. And he says to the Ephesian believers, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle is is against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul said to his beloved friend Timothy, I have fought a good fight. The Christian life is a fight. I could go on, there's James, there's Jude, there's Hebrews. There are dozens and dozens of references. The Christian life is a fight. The Lord Jesus Christ himself warned us, in this world you will have trouble. So, What causes the fights? Well, our enemy is Satan himself. He is the prince of this world. His tactics are are old, they're well used, they're extremely effective, and you'll find countless examples of them in the Bible and in the history of the church. He tempts, he accuses, he discourages, he deceives, he scares, he lies, he devours, and he destroys. Mostly he's unseen, but not always. Sometimes there is a sense of a a great visibility of the power of the evil one. And we have to fight. We have to wage war to battle like Joshua of old. Does this, are you in agreement with me? Yeah, the Christian life is tough. It is. It can be really hard. But the battle belongs to the Lord. That's our strength, isn't it? So second point, second application. Once you join the Lord's side... The warfare begins. The the Gibeonites, by joining Israel, brought trouble on themselves. I wonder, did they think, we've made a treaty with Israel, hey, we're we're, we're excused from the trouble that's going to come on everybody else. It's going to be easy now for us. Yeah, we don't mind carrying a bit of water, cutting a few bits of wood, we're saved. So did they think we're all right? But no sooner had they joined camp with Israel, that trouble came, and it came from their friends, their supposed ex allies verse 5 that this this their friends came against them and camp said we're going to slaughter you so have you recently become a christian have you recently joined the lord's side have you recently made like that fresh commitment lord i'm going to follow you wholeheartedly then expect and prepare for opposition and trouble perhaps from those who are your friends and family that i thought they'd be pleased i thought they'd be happy but this opposition is coming. Oh, 
that's strange. It's not strange. That's normal. That's what happens. And we need to count the cost before becoming a Christian. We sometimes want to push people, don't we, into the kingdom of God far too soon. There is a cost to be counted. There is a battle to face. You, you that, that are believers, that you know it's not all roses in the kingdom of God. We fight for the Lord and we fight for one another and we, we struggle and we, 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 we do all that we can to serve God and it's not easy. And as a church, we're about to start a new chapter aren't we, in our history, with, with a new vicar. And it's our prayer that through his ministry and leadership that the kingdom of, the kingdom of God will advance and grow here in Hove and beyond. We need to pray for Nick. Yes, we're going to welcome them at the party, but we need to pray for him and his family and for us as a fellowship at this time because it is a dangerous time for churches. Read history, read about churches. When a new person comes in leadership, there often is a bit of a battle going on, a battle for them, a battle for us. That's what's going to happen. So pray for Nick. Pray for us as a church that it would be as smooth as it can possibly be for him and for us. Third point, our Joshua has covenanted, has promised to help keep and deliver us from the evil one and from whatever might come along. The Gibeonites trusted in the treaty. The first thing they did when they saw the Amorites camped outside and they thought, oh, oh dear, this looks like trouble. They called to Joshua, come and help us. We've made a treaty with you. And, and, and Joshua came. They came overnight and, and, answered their call for help. The promise to Joshua in in verse 8 stands true for us today. God is with us. God will fight for us. And they said, do not be afraid of them. God says, I've given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Our enemies might seem mighty, but God is mightier. Jesus is our Joshua. He has covenanted always to help us, never to leave us, never to forsake us. What do we do in days of trouble? We cry to him. Come and help us. Come and help us quickly. Come and help us now. There are many situations in which we feel overwhelmed by the opposition, by the conflicts without and by the fears within. And many of our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing, aren't they, the most dreadful opposition imaginable. And even to us, the world, the flesh and the devil seem to be mustering forces At the moment, the tide of evil in our own city and nation is alarming. The tide has turned. We are far, far from being a Christian nation anymore. The immorality, the ungodliness, the unrighteousness is grievous to our souls. What are we to do? What what, what can we do to help our persecuted brothers and sisters? It's to call upon the Lord to help them. Call upon the Lord that they might trust in him to deliver them. The one that is in you is greater than the one that is in the world. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes' time. The battle belongs to the Lord. And it's, it's a, I think, a, a favorite from the 80s. Is that right, James, that we used to sing many years ago? When the power of darkness comes in like a flood, the battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up a standard, the power of his blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. When your enemy presses in hard, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend. Your redemption is near. The battle belongs to the Lord. We trust in Christ's power in such times. We fight 
the good fight of faith. We attack with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. We defend with the shield of faith. We are protected by the, the, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace and the helmet of salvation, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all the heavenly host are with us. We are on the winning side, and like the Gibeonites, we will see the mighty hand and power of God at work. Is this battle constant? Does it go on all the time? You think, well, how do I unjoin a church? How do I unjoin the kingdom of God if this is what it's like? Does this battle go on all the time? No, it doesn't. I think in Joshua days, there were certain battles. And then we see in verse 15 at the end, then Joshua returned with all Israel to the camp at Gilgal. They went back to rest. And my fourth and final application is, there is rest. There is rest at the end of each battle. There is rest in this life. There is rest in the life to come. There are days of evil that come. That, ooh, where does this come from? That they've spoken about in Ephesians. And we need to be ready for those. We are given times of rest, but our sword needs to be at the ready. Our shield needs to be at the ready. Let's always be ready, clad in our heavenly armor. And in this life, there is rest. There is rest in Christ. Rest in his power, rest in his presence, and rest in his protection. Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. There is heart rest. Most people, or many people, when they talk about their testimony, they were restless, they were troubled, and then they found their rest in Christ. There is true rest in this life in Christ, and it's a rest like none other. It's a glorious rest. Even in the midst of the battle, we can find rest as we look to the Lord, as we fix our attention, not upon the battle, but on him. He is able to deliver us. So there is rest in this life. There is rest in death. There is rest in death. I love the phrase in the Old Testament, and it speaks of the old kings and stuff. They rested with their fathers. It's a very much used phrase there. And in death, we leave the battlefield forever. It's referred to by the Lord, isn't it, as sleep. As sleep. We rest in sleep. We, well, oh, I'm tired out. I'm looking forward to a good night's sleep, a good night's rest. And we wake up refreshed from it. And that's what the, it's a temporary state. We will rise from death one day, refreshed into another realm, just as we rise from a, from a, a restful night's sleep. It's good to look upon death as, as rest. We've lost some beloved saints, haven't we? Know that they're resting. They're resting from the battle. They're resting in Christ. It's like a sleep. They will rise from that rest one day to the glorious kingdom. And that's our final thing. There is perfect rest in glory. When the Lord returns, the final battle will have taken place. Revelation warns us of many battles to come, of a fearsome battle at the end, the battle of all battles. It will have taken place. The great tribulation, as it's called, will be over. Satan and the evil hordes will be no more. And we shall rise from the temporal rest of death, or we shall rise from life into the eternal rest of life in all its glorious fullness. and Keep that in view. Don't lose sight of that. Yes, there is rest in death, but our, our eternal rest is when we rise from death into the glorious presence of the Lord. Keep that in view 
and fight with all your might for the glory of the kingdom of God. Fight the good fight with all thy might. Christ is thy strength and Christ thy right. Lay hold on life and it shall be thy joy and crown eternally. Good old hymn, good truths there. Logan, you come and pray for us, please. Thank you.